Well, yeah, O.J. Simpson, that was jury-rigged. That was jury-rigged. <laughs> this is jerry-rigged. You know about jerrys. Jerrys. Yeah. That's German. Jerry. Jerry? That's a German slang. You're recording now, aren't you? Now I'm recording. Howdy, everybody. Did it again. This is Robert. I'm Robert. And I'm Ira. And this is Money Shot. And uh, hi, Ira. Look, it's just hey. you and me. How about that? It's been a little while since we've just been alone. Robert. We've been having these threesomes. We're alone. Mm. Mm. Just you. you. I like this more. You, me, and the pussy between us. The pussy between us. He's referring to his... My cat. cat. Yeah. And... Oh. And also the pussy that I fucked. Yeah, okay, good. Same thing. Yeah. Uh, This week, we are are reviewing Going in Style. Going in Style. Yeah. Heist movie. Yeah. I love a good heist movie. It's probably my favorite genre. Do you like heist movies? I do. I do. Mm, that doesn't sound like a ringing endorsement. It's like a meow, 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 heist. Meow. Man, I love a good heist movie. Mm, well, perhaps you saw one. Maybe I did. Maybe we'll find out. Mm, 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 mm. Uh, so, what else? How, how you been, Ira? <laughs> how's, how's life going? All uh, things are great. Yeah, busy, hectic, working on stuff. Stuff. Yeah, that's a lot of people work on that. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta try to find some stuff to work on. Yeah, you are. You've been pretty busy yourself. I got some email. Doesn't. Oh. You want to hear an email? I do. Let's talk about email. Okay. Uh, This email listener says, I very much enjoyed the latest podcast and all the discussion around the issues of the movie. I think they're talking about Ghost in the Shell. So last week, in case you didn't listen, we reviewed Ghost in the Shell with our guest, Mason Booker, the first return guest on this show. How about that? Yeah. So Mason came on. We talked about Ghost in the Shell. We talked about the anime background behind it. We talked about some of the whitewashing stuff, perhaps ad nauseum. But we did discuss... (laughs) Those issues. Uh, this listener says, uh, had some good laughs as well. One issue that I have, whatever happened to Baby Scarlet? I initially, it initially seemed that she was gearing towards more serious acting career, but now it seems that she only does big paycheck fanboy movies appealing to the comic book films. She's uh, firmly entrenched in the Marvel Universe and is trying to start another fantasy series. What do you think about that? I agree. You think so? I agree with that, with that listener. No, I... I I, I tend to agree as well, but what he's saying is whatever happened to the baby Scarlet, and I get that, but maybe baby Scarlet grew up so that adult Scarlet could exist. Maybe these are the kind of films that she enjoys do- doing. Or do you think that she's maybe just disenfranchised with the whole experience and just wants to do a paycheck so she can go do other things? Like, you know what? It's easy to go for you know three months. Everybody stares at me to, you know, while I'm wearing some skin-tight revealing outfit, and I'll just have that quick fun and be done and move along and do whatever the fuck else I want for the remainder of the year. Right. And I read that email a few days ago and Mm -hmm. I think the gist of it was that uh, other actresses do these fun fantasy films, but then also do the more serious movies to be more respected. Yeah. Also in this email, the the listener said, well, Jennifer Lawrence uh, did the hunger games and passengers, but also appeared in silver linings, play playbooks, Amy Adams, Jessica Chastain, a lot of these, the same actresses are doing that same kind of stuff. And, and I, I agree. Uh, first of all, I don't think that any of them have that same kind of power. Maybe Jennifer Lawrence, but I don't think any of them have quite the same star power as Scarlett Johansson. Would you agree with that? With the exception of being Jennifer Lawrence, yes. Jennifer Lawrence, right, yeah. Right. But like Amy Adams and, um, and Jessica Chastain, they, they're not household names yet. They don't have that uh, Skojo you know, abbreviation. Skojo. You know what I mean? I do. When yeah. you get to like J-Lo or Skojo or, or Benefer, when you get to those kind of levels. What's our abbreviation? I-Rob. 
Rabbi. 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 Yeah. I rub. I rub. No, rab- I rub. No, rabbi. It's like rabbi. I know. I was about to say that sounds like a, a some sort of Jewish uh, <laughs> a clergyman. Uh, rob. I rub. I rub. I rub. <laughs> rabbi. Rabbi. Yeah. Rabbi. It is. All right. Well, but I, I agree with the sentiment of that listener. Yeah. yeah. You're not sure. I think selfishly, I would. I mean, I enjoy the more. Um, I enjoy the films where she is a more of the serious films that she's been in. I enjoy them a lot more. So selfishly, I would much rather her ditch these comic book movies. But I think she's probably looking at this as more of a payday. I, I suspect that she's probably just um, she's she's cementing her her status, her legendary status by doing these big blockbuster blockbuster films. She's always going to be in demand for a certain um, period of 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 time. What I mean to say is she's always going to be heralded as the you know the was a black widow or whatever it is in the marvel universe and so she's going to be going to comic con for the rest of her life if she so so chooses so in, in a way you could argue that maybe it's a, a retirement package she's oh, or a sellout uh, is it a well, sellout yeah i think so i mean she was so wonderful remember that woody allen movie about tennis yeah match, well, match point. point she was so great in that it's so terrific to see her in these other yeah. roles but i it, I just don't believe in that concept of sellout. I don't believe in that. I think you are what decisions you make. And at the time, you might, um, you know, you might do one for the money and then another one for the art. You know, you might decide to take that path. But doing one for the money is not bad. It's a business. It's a job. Why is that so bad? Right. But again, I think the sentiment of that email was that she's not doing both. She's just doing, playing it one way. Yes. And, that's and, the sellout. And that, but what I'm saying is, I can agree with that. And selfishly, I don't even want her to do one for the money. I would rather her just do them for the art. And, you know, there's certainly certain actors that do it that way, that could do bigger paycheck films but refuse to do so. But I, I can understand where only doing it for the paycheck is an option as well. And I wouldn't call that a sellout. I would just say that's her job. Her cool. job is to look hot and run around and fire guns, and that's enough for her. You're having trouble with the... The term sellout, aren't you? Yeah, that's, yeah. I don't. Yeah. I'm not comfortable with that because that's. I, she knows what she's doing. She's got how many advisors that are bringing it? They're going to help right. her make those decisions. All right. Let's just say she's taking advantage of where she's at, and she knows what she can parlay. And I wish the but, listeners could see the gestures you're making because <laughs> it, it really looks like you're fondling a pair of breasts right now. Well, I am my own. <laughs> I, I agree with the sentiment. I'm not trying to shoot down the sentiment. I totally agree. I just don't. Um, I guess it's hard because we're not in her situation. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that she's necessarily making a sellout choice. I totally agree with this listener because I, w- I miss those movies. Those are the better movies. Absolutely. And I think right. that's, that's probably what this listener is saying right. is, man, don't you wish that we could have some of those back? And yeah, for sure. Because who knows how many roles we're, we're not getting because we're not getting to see because she decided to do another comic book movie. You agree with that, right? I do. I'm not. Oh, I'm nodding. Oh, they can't see my nod. <laughs> yeah, but we need another uh, Lost in Translation, or mm. you know, um, the uh, what was the man who wasn't there? Some of the films mm-hmm. that she had done before mm-hmm. that. But um, all right, well, let's get into 
going us down. Now, before we do that, we got to kind of tease our topic this week, our top five topic. Well, earlier you kicked this off by saying how much you enjoy heist movies. Yes, Is that right? indeed. So I think you're kind of like setting it up a little I bit. I am. I'm alluding to our top alluding. five. Alluding. He's alluding to top five. Illusion. B. Top five is. It's all illusion. <laughs> our top five is last heist. One last heist. One last heist. One final job. Yeah, the last job. job. Right, right. The Italian job. Spoiler alert, I wonder if that's on your top five. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's on mine. I bet if, it, if it is on yours, I know which one is on yours. And let me let me tell you, it well, ain't the Marky Mark version. No. Well, there, yeah, and the, well, we'll talk. <laughs> I just want a clip of you half starting a sentence. I just wanted that on endless repeat. Well, there's an original Italian job, the foreign. That's not the one you're referring to, but it was Michael Caine. Are you referring? You're to referring to the Michael Caine version. Am I? Aren't you? We'll have to wait and find out. Oh, what a tease! You're such a cock tease. Mm. <sighs> All right. So, uh, in the meantime, let's talk about going in style. Now, you and well, I talked about this before we even saw the movie, before we even agreed on what film to see this week. You and I talked about it, and you said that you had seen the original, the original Going in Style. I sure did. Was it 1979? 1979. It was yeah. my, my first date with Kathy. And uh, I remember going to Westwood Village and watching the movie with her. And uh, Guess the, what? I was born in 1979. All right, we're not going to play this game now, are we? <laughs> you're old enough to be my dad. Fuck you. <laughs> All right, so you're on a date. Now, my first question for you is, did you watch the movie, or were you getting a sad hand job? Well, you're making it sound like a false dilemma. It could be both of the above. The two are not mutually exclusive. So you watched the movie while while getting yeah, a hand job. Sure. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Yeah. impressive. Uh, so, what did you think about 1979, the, movie? the original one? Uh, we should say, well, the, the basic premise about three elderly gentlemen mm-hmm. in need of uh, money for survival decide to rob a bank, which is actually the premise of both. Films. Did you just give the summary? I, you did for the first time. Yeah, but you do it better. I like the way you go into more detail. We'll still have you do that. We'll still have you do a summary. But let me just say that the original 1979 with George Burns, Art Carney, Lee Strasberg. Oh yeah, and the movie had a lot of heart. He doesn't just teach acting. He does it. He does it. Yeah, them, them, those that can do this. Mm. Um, A lot of pathos. Yeah, it was a real sweet movie. I, was I impressed didn't with see it. the original. I wish you had. You would have liked it. Yeah, I want to go back and check that out. Yeah. Um, well, this movie Good. stars Michael Caine, the aforementioned Michael Caine, Morgan Freeman, and Alan Arkin as three old timers who decide that they are going to rob a bank, and uh, it's a it's it's another heartwarming kind of um, it's it's a feel good family film but centered around a horrible act of violence, <laughs> of robbing a bank with guns. Um, and that's pretty much it. That's all you really need to know. It, I mean, the whole movie is really just kind of a, um, it, it's explainable in like a, a log line, essentially. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah. High concept. You could pitch it in one sentence. Yeah. And I do think that this movie is not successful without Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine, and Alan Arkin. Right. And also, I'm going to add, Christopher Lloyd, I, I was, you know I'm going to say that, right? Yeah. Christopher Lloyd was so fucking funny because you don't even expect him to be in this movie. And he pops up and has some of the funniest moments 
I've seen in, in recent comedies. I was laughing out loud at a few things he did. The corn, did you see that scene? It's, a, it's the fastest shot, and it's, I don't even know if you remember it. He's at the, the when they first start deciding that they're going to rob this bank, he takes a scoop of corn, dips it down, and just, like, bounces corn. It's so fucking weird. It's Christopher Lloyd at his true, most insane, crazy, weirdo Christopher Lloyd S. Perhaps he should be one of the main three. I wouldn't even be surprised movie. if they discussed it, but then kind of went, hey, he's yeah, a little too weird for us. Yeah. 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 And just, you know what, let's, let's have him in the movie, yeah. but let's push him off to the side a little bit. Um, in, in keeping with this, there was something that I wanted to bring up. I have a lot to say about the movie, but there's one thing that this movie reminded me a lot of. And my buddy a few years ago wrote a movie called Old Pie. And he wrote it right after American Pie came out. And... Old Pie, it's such a great premise. You remember American Pie, right? Of course. And it's all about these guys that are essentially trying to get laid for the first time. So Old Pie is about these guys in a retirement home I love it. who want to get laid one last time. And when they wrote it, this is back when still when Don Knotts was alive, and um, they had this Dreamcast kind of set aside of all of these old timers. And, and that kind of genre... Um, of, of filmmaking, I'm really drawn to. I really like the idea of these filmmak- films that come out with, uh, like Last Vegas that came out a right, few years ago. Right. Um, these actors that are clearly just having fun and they're kind of going, you know what, let's just make one about you know older, older people and the last few things that happened to them before their demise. Now, I think in a way it's very ageist of us to assume that these people are all going to be dead anytime soon. Um, I heard an interview a while back with, um, with someone in their 80, like their early 90s, and he was saying how much he had changed from his 80s, like mid-80s, to his early 90s. Like, yeah, I just changed so much in the past five years. And I think that's a problem that a lot of younger people like myself make is that, you know, you're still growing. You're still changing even into your 80s and 90s. We just do this assumption that after you pass 60, you're always the same personality. Hmm. And... I, I think that that's a really interesting element. I think that's the one problem with a lot of these, like, I don't know what that genre is. What do you think about that? Have you, have you changed significantly? No, I'm not going to sit here and reveal your age, but you are over... I'm over, I'm over 40. You're over 40 yeah. years old. <laughs> have you changed very much since you were 40? Well, keep in mind, you're talking to someone who literally wrote a book entitled People Don't Change Ever. Mm. So you're asking my overall philosophy of life that I, I don't believe in change or growth or self-actualization. You feel like you're the same? I, to a large extent, I feel I have the same wants, needs, values, and goals. Hmm. Same sense of humor. I'm made of the same stuff. I respond in the same way. And uh, I know that's a very narrow point of view, but I, I question... I question growth and learning values along the way. You question growth? Absolutely. So you don't think that experiences would help shape you? Mm, Experiences are something we can reflect back on, but I don't think they mold who we are. It would be nice if we learned lessons along the way, but I I question that. That's really interesting. It is. It is. It's a book I've been working on. I own the title, People Don't Change Ever. And you know, we're off on one of our tangents, but originally that was meant to be a thin coffee table book with a really cool title that was playfully making fun of all the self-help books. But as I did more and more research, I went deeper and deeper in this topic, and I interviewed a slew of therapists, psychiatrists, probation officers. They all agreed with me. They said, well, we don't really 
change now, do we? And they all said, don't quote me, but you're right. That's when I knew I was onto something. Suddenly it wasn't a cute little coffee table book, and it became a thick book with lots of evidence to support this premise. That's, That's really fascinating. disturbing to a lot of people. It goes against the grain, this whole thing in the 70s with change and growth. It's all silly stuff. You know. We strive for that. We strive for change. Of course we do. Of course we do. And then what's the message? And I had trouble with this book because well, then what's, the, what's the point? And the last chapter is really uh, advocating to come to terms with who you are, with who you are and to be at peace with who you are. Even if you're a lousy human being, celebrate it. It's your essence. That's the message. Hmm. Interesting. Now, what would you say to people that that say that they've changed. I don't, they want to go around saying it because it's kind of cool in, in certain circles. But I think if we're going to pursue a serious discussion of change, we have to define the word change. I'm really talking about the core, the nuts and bolts of your personality. And unfortunately, all the evidence out there supports my, my claim. Uh, the only way we really change is either with drugs or lobotomy. That certainly or like a tumor or something, tumor. right? Yeah, or we're just going into your brain and altering who you are. That would change. But um, look, even even with organizations such as AA, the craving never goes away. The craving might be replaced with something else. You'll go from one crutch to another. The fortunate ones will put down the drink and maybe embrace the twelve step program or you know the higher power or stuff mm. like that, which is just going from one crutch to another. But you don't really change who you are. The craving will always be there. There's a profound genetic predisposition to who we are. That's really interesting. I don't know if I, I don't know if I agree, and I don't know if I disagree. Yeah, I'm every, gonna have to think on that. Everyone disagrees with me. Everyone does. I would try to have discussions with this with all of my blind dates. Man, doesn't go over well. Doesn't go over well, especially when they're therapists. Well, wait a minute. You just said you've had discussions with therapists and the therapists who are serious about it. And I, I interview, I research. So you I only need non-serious therapists. <laughs> the therapist. But the, the MFCs, marriage and family counselors, mm. those kinds of therapists are like appalled that I would even suggest such a notion that of change or to not change. Well, I suggest that we really don't change along the way and just to be at peace with who you are. I mean, Look at the rate of recidivism. People who commit horrible crimes, you know this, Robert, the statistics are really damning. 98% of the people released out of prison in the real world will commit the same or worse crime within three years. 98% and the other 3% are dead. We don't, the other 2% are dead. We don't care about them. You don't suddenly... I think people are born evil. This is interesting. I think people are born evil and they will always be evil and no intervention in the world will alter that but one iota. One of the, the problem with that is that you're assuming that committing a crime makes you evil. I mean, as we saw in this movie, there were three guys who committed a crime who were not deemed to be evil. Those were good guys by the lens of the film. Are you ready for this? Yeah. I think they all should have gone to jail at the end. I think so too. I have, Robert, this is really interesting. I, I have a lot to I, say about this. I have this. a lot to say about this. They broke the law, yeah. and no one is above the law. And, okay, I'm all over the place, but... Hold on. Well, yeah. I want to go oh, back. Let's, There's okay. too much here. First, let's, let's tackle this, because we know we're going to talk about the movie, but I want to talk about this idea of change, because I'm not done with that yet. Yeah. I want to come back to the movie, but I think this idea of not being able to change, mm-hmm. I'm not satisfied with where we've left that. Do you... I mean, there are some people who, who claim that they have, they've worked towards a change and they feel like they've, they've really uh, made 
huge efforts to be nice to kids and, and you know, maybe they hadn't been before, like being being a better dad or something like that. We saw that even within the movie, this dad who does this change. It was a movie. Do you think that's possible, no. though? He suddenly became a good father. And it would care. It's... God, I sound negative and cynical and pessimistic, don't I? And that's I? not you at all. I know, I know. But you are a realist. I am a realist. And all my friends know this about me, that I've always had this philosophy about, I've been spouting this concept for 30 years, hmm. that there's no such thing as true change if we define it with, again, the nuts and bolts of who you are. I do think some people are born evil. They will be evil babies. They'll become evil teenagers, and they will become evil adults. That's who they are. There's a predisposition for that. It's chemical. It's chemical stuff within you. Do you hmm. agree with that, Robert? That's something. I, I, I think I might. Uh, evil people will not won't suddenly join the Peace Corps. It doesn't work that way. But what happens when they do? They don't. Or, hmm. or if they do, it might be for three days. I mean, these, there are, certainly have to be exceptions to this rule. Uh, you would think so. I'm. I'm quite adamant about it. I'm reluctant to say 100% of the time, but yeah. it's right up there. It's right up there. I think I could get behind it more if it wasn't an absolute. Mm-hmm. I think if you were to say 90-something percent right. of people do not change in their lifetime. But then, you know what? The, the problem with that, that becomes almost dangerous because it almost encourages people to think that they're this special 2% that says, but I can. Mm-hmm. I can change. And then... then they feel like they're going to do something different, but they never do anything different. That's a really interesting idea. We've never talked about that. Have we talked about this? I'm not I sure. I think tangentially. Maybe years ago, I yeah, think we briefly. spoke about Yeah, yeah. But how, I love having this discussion about change. How does that tie in with... Get, help me with the link. Well, we were talking about how, how the films depict older people, and it's basically like they're about to die. And I do feel like that's a little bit ageist to just automatically assume, oh, because you're over 70, you're, you're going to croak at any minute. And that's just not how it works. You've still got a lot of life to live. And I, I feel like a lot of people who are under the age of, I'm, I'm pulling 60 as, as kind of the, the over under. I think it used to be 50, but we're living longer now. So I think 60 seems to be like the over under range where it's kind of like, okay, if you're over 60, you almost don't count by societal standards as if once you retire, you're done. And it's just not that way. I mean, once, once you're retired, you can become far more productive because you have all this free time. And Robert, on a personal level, I did have a kind of a strong reaction when I watched the movie this afternoon. Yeah. And the characters, it was implied that they were in their, like their late sixties or maybe seventies. Yeah. And, um, in a few months I'm going to be 70. I'm more active and dynamic and creative now than any part in my whole point in my whole life. So you've changed. <laughs> it's always been there. But the fact I retired after being in the classroom for 37 years is giving me the time to pursue these other things. Yeah. It's always been inside me. So no, I haven't changed. But because I'm retired, I have the time to do these things. Well, and that's something that, and, I mean, people that know you know that you are an active person. You're someone that, I mean, you've got energy about you. And I, I can't, I mean, I've known you for a long time and that energy has always been about the same. I mean, it, I, it doesn't, I think if I pulled you from 15 years ago, it'd be the same kind of energy. I agree. Or even agree. 30 years ago. Yeah. I didn't know you 30 years ago, but I think it'd probably be about the, the same, same energy. The same. And you know why? Because I haven't changed. Yeah. So that's what, that's supporting your, your it general does. thesis yeah. there. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Let's talk about the movie for a second. Oh, Okay. 
I think you and I are probably going to have a bigger discussion about the philosophy behind this movie than the actual movie itself. I have a feeling, meaning, what does this movie represent? What is it trying to say? What should these, as you mentioned, these characters should have gone to jail, should have gone to prison at the end. I love that you feel that way. I, I, I had a feeling. I had no idea that you were, yeah. Because yeah. I think... Uh, I think there's a lot to be said about this movie that I think most people are just going to pass it over as just general schlock, but it's fluff. Yeah, but I think there's actually something there, and it's kind of a reflection of our society yes. and what, what the expectations of our society are. And it really rubbed me the wrong way in a lot of ways. Well, if I may, please. A, a spoiler alert and. Um, the the little girl with the doll, mm-hmm. the little Asian girl, and she. Well, you got to set this up. Reco- why don't you you do a better job of setting up? But okay. I want and I want to talk about what she did at the end of the film. Okay. Go. So in during the robbery, during uh, Morgan Freeman sees. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's Michael Caine. Michael Caine in the beginning of the movie, he happens to be in the bank while the bank is being robbed, and that's where the idea comes from that they're going to rob the bank. The, the older guys are going to rob the bank. Same bank, by the way. Yeah. Which, by the way, if the bank does not improve its security standards after being robbed the first time, they kind of deserve to be robbed again, don't you think? Well, yes. And also, speaking about that one specific bank, look how convenient it was that that was the same bank that was holding on to the pension fund right. for that corporation, which justifies... We'll I'm talk about that in okay, a minute. All right, all right. But, that bothered me a lot. That was too of a coincidental to, right. to justify. Well... So he's in a bank that gets robbed. He gets the idea to rob the bank. They put the whole, the whole heist together. And during the middle of the robbery, Morgan Freeman leans down and has a conversation with a little Asian girl who's holding a doll and recognizes a watch that's on Morgan Freeman's hand. So he has a very specific watch that was given to him as a gift. And later on, the, uh, the, the gang is arrested and they have this impromptu police lineup which, by the way, there was... Let's there call was, it a roll-up, oh not my a God. lineup. They, they bring everybody... In wheelchairs. All these suspects in wheelchairs. They put them all in wheelchairs, and then they bring in the girl with her dolly, and they say, okay, which one is it? As if they would ever Were do they that. They, with no sort of protection for the witness or anything like that. You know, just like, here, identify which one it is. Just go right up to a, a criminal who apparently had a gun. Like, this was... I mean, for all the police know, these... Criminals are staring at this little girl who might be able to identify them, and they just think, hey, yeah, if I just shoot this little girl in the head later on, if, if she's the one that's identifying me, then my witness is It was gone. a weird scene, the way it was yeah. even set up. Wasn't it like in a gymnasium? Right. And kids were shooting baskets, and FBI, get out of here. And they lined up these people, and right. they all had to be in wheelchairs, because Morgan Freeman was in a wheelchair. Therefore, the whole lineup was in wheelchairs. Right. It was a little... Sorry, go ahead. So the little girl walks up to everybody, eyes each one of them, sees that it's Morgan Freeman, and instead of turning her, him in... She says, nope, I don't see him. Yeah. And uh, lies on behalf of our older guys. Yeah. And then they get away with it. Yeah. As if as well, even if she had identified him, even if she said, that's him, by the way, Morgan Freeman, I saw him. And uh, the watch, I recognize the watch. Even if that was to make the case for for the police, if their entire case rests on a, like a six year old girl who's holding a doll and she's the one that identifies Morgan Freeman as being the the bank robber and if i mean a public defendant could have gotten him out of that mess i mean that's nothing if they're if if these guys can't hire a lawyer that could get them out of that that's that's the worst case scenario these police are not doing their job if their whole entire case rests on the on the one little girl right 
but I want to take that and even go besides how ludicrous it was as a theme. She's she's aiding and abetting a criminal, right? Someone who indeed committed a crime. It's like she's harboring a criminal, and and that's okay. And we get the knowing looks at the end, and then the, the little girl's mother smiles. At more, they all like are in cahoots with a little nod, like the girl is doing the right thing. No one is above the law. Right. She lied to get because he was nice. Because he was what did he what did he whisper to her during the bank robbery about? Something I can't remember. I, I don't remember what it was, but he seemed sweet. Right. He seemed like a nice guy. So therefore, it's okay for this little girl to lie so he wouldn't go to jail. Well, not to well, mention the fact that, that police are bad somehow. What? Police I'm have so turned into the I had the no idea you were going to talk this And I think, you know, Hitchcock did a lot of this. Like in all Hitchcock films, if you watch them, something interesting that happens throughout Hitchcock films is that the police are always incompetent. The police never solve any of the crimes. And that's because Hitchcock had some real issues with police himself. But I feel like a lot of Hollywood films are really starting to take police and make them more villainous in a lot of ways. And that that's what was going on here. The police were the villains. And not to mention the fact that, I mean, they, they were making fun of people being scared in a bank robbery situation. And they were making this guy, um, you know, a lot of the tellers and, and the, the people who were there, the, the one bank employee pissed his pants and they're making fun of him for being scared. And it's like, that's terrifying. Someone's waving a gun in your face and they're just expecting you to be cool and calm and collected. And that's ridiculous. And I, I, I don't like that the filmmakers were doing that. I think a lot of that could have been worked around. Now, I liked this movie. I'm going to go ahead and jump out ahead and say... I enjoyed the movie, but there were some real structural flaws with the film, and that was one of the things that was jumping out at me. I didn't; it did not settle well with me. The politics behind the film, uh, because I felt like it was very misguided. I so agree. I so agree. Yeah, I was I was quite bothered when the movie ended. I do think that's a metaphor for our society, isn't it? Yeah, it's 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 well, permeating. It's, it's saying just, here's what kind of stories we feel okay to tell. And keep in mind, this, I think, is more of a movie targeted towards a general audience. This is, quote-unquote, a, a family film. This is a film that you could take your grandma and the kids to go see. And the movie is saying it's okay to steal. Yeah. As long as you're sweet. Justified, right? right? Just, as long as you feel justified. justified. Yeah, if you feel, and it's okay to lie. Especially to the police. And, and she's a little girl holding a doll. Right. And she lied to the police, and we applaud her. Now I'm going to go even. Going on I'm going to go one step even further, and this starts to get really deeper. The other, like, hardcore message here is, you don't need to plan for your retirement. Ah. Uh, and I think that's the real problem. What about these other people who have scrimped and saved their entire lives to plan for their retirement? These three guys were relying completely on this pension for the steel company that they've worked for. And, okay, granted, the steel company, the, in, the, in the movie, the steel company decides to, uh, to sell to, uh, they move the company to, to Vietnam, and as a result, they dissolve the pension plan for all of these employees. So uh, they basically lose all their pension funds. Okay. First of all, that seems highly improbable that that would ever happen, especially under the current Trump administration, which is really trying to bring all these jobs home. So... Uh, I, I don't know that these companies are going to up and leave to Vietnam over all of this. But even assuming that that's the case, um, if you're relying only on a pension and you have no other retirement planned, if, you, if you've not developed a 401k or at least an IRA, a Roth IRA, if you don't understand those things, and I understand that's not real movie savvy. That's not the kind of thing that you want to talk about in a family movie. But these guys basically had 
idiotic plans for retirement. How are you going to retire if all you have is your pension? That's not enough to get by on, is it? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what your pension is like. And I'm not asking you to disclose that, right. Ira, but could well, you get by solely on your pension? Well, I'm fortunate. I'm ex- I appreciate your generalization a lot. I happen to be an exception because of the state teacher's retirement system. So I do get 91% of my salary every month for the rest of my life. That's could a, you retire on that? I mean, did the pension, there's no 401k or IRA that's, that's involved correct. in that? That's correct. Do you have a Roth IRA? I don't. Do you have a 401k? I don't. Wow. However, I've been fortunate because I've inherited quite a bit of money to uh, get me through as well. All right. So there you go. But yes, and also the movie did blame. They, well, you they, told me you had some stocks. Oh, yeah, I do. Well, that's a. Well, I got that from inheritance. Inheritance oh, money. I see what you're saying. Yeah, inheritance. Now it's the stock market. Dow's doing really well, by the way. Um, <laughs> what was I saying? You were the, talking about the retirement plan. Oh, and they also did a good job of blaming. I wonder if we're going to agree on this. The um, mortgage brokers for getting people to buy homes when they really shouldn't. They're in no position. Yes. Robert. The the beginning of this movie starts out with Michael Caine saying, you were wrong for telling me that that there's not much. He should have read the fucking contract. Yes. Robert. Wow. We really do agree Absolutely. on this. Absolutely. Michael, Michael Caine lambasts the, it was the a bank variable, employee. It was a variable interest rate. And right. we know they're rock bottom at the beginning, right. but they go up as the months go by. Right. Go ahead. And so, so that's the idea, which is that he, he was told by the employee of the bank that it's unlikely that this rate would change, but it's possible. Yeah. And Michael Caine rests everything on the it's unlikely idea. And the bank employee says, yes, but I told you it was possible. Yeah, but you told me it was unlikely. Yes, but possible. And the possible happened. Okay. Well. Well, there you go. There you go. Why is the bank a criminal for that? They did disclose. Not to mention, you have a contract in front of you, which the bank doesn't alter from person to person. That's That's a bank contract that's standard and put out. I'm sure it's been vetted by all of their lawyers, right? And Michael Caine signed it. There you go, buddy. I mean, that's that's the end of the line. That does not give you permission to run him with a gun, and hold up the bank. See, there's that sense of entitlement. Entitlement. And a lot of people talk about the current millennials of having that entitlement. Yeah. Well, in this case, we have some um, elderlies with the sense of reti- entitlement where I'm going to go out and say this. Not everyone can own a home. Oh, my gosh. Not everyone should own a home. You can't I afford it. I had a it. student, and I actually wrote this down in my notes here of what I wanted to talk about today. I had a student that came in the other day, and he was talking about his teacher saying that some of the current economic policies of Trump encroached on her right to buy a home. And the the student was saying, do you have a right to buy a home? And I'm going, fuck no, you don't have a right to buy a home. That's a privilege. You don't have a right to buy anything. I mean, you have... You have the right to life and, and these core basic ideas, you know, and, and not be, um, you know, wrongly convicted and things like You do have rights, but the right to buy a home? Right. Right. I hate that word, right. There's that entitlement yeah. again. And unless, unless you have properly thought out your retirement plan and have an, a 401k or a, an IRA or have an inheritance from a wealthy uncle, <laughs> um, unless you have any of those... I don't think you should be buying a house. No, you don't have that right. You don't have that right. See, you it's should sell simple. your house. You, yeah. should, you should say, or turn to your family. You've got kids and say, hey, listen, I'm going to lose the house here. It's time for me to sell. Do you want to buy it? 
you know, and say, do you want to invest in this? And eight or nine years ago during the mortgage debacle, and people were blaming the banks because they were misleading, mm-hmm. misleading. And I was, I felt the only one among my friends who was saying, no, they should have carefully si- read the contract before signing. All the specifics would be explained and you're in no position to buy that house or refi. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. However, with these two issues, you still liked the movie quite a bit, didn't you? There were, you know what it really is, what it boiled down to for me? Watching those guys, watching those actors on screen, I mean, they could be taking a dump and I'd still watch them because they're just so, they're so good at what they do. And I was actually thinking about this, you know, we're talking about the millennial um, concept of, of entitlement. The film was directed by Zach Braff. And Zach Braff is the star for the, uh, the television show Scrubs. He was uh, the director and star for Garden State. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Zach, Zach Braff or not. But he directed it. And he's my age. We're the same, about the same age. And I think a lot of the millennial mindset, you know, my age is, depending on how you slice millennials and Generation X, some of my age really kind of falls into either group. And, you know, one could argue that I'm a millennial. One could also argue I'm Generation X. He's about the same age as I am. So I think the same would apply for him. And I think the fact that he's at the helm for this film, I think he's, he's taking on a lot of the millennial mindset and applying it here to people that are of a different generation. I don't think there's very many people from that generation that would make that decision to go rob a bank. I think they would say, no, that's, that's pretty fucked up. That's wrong. And I'm not going to do that. You know, if I sign the contract, then that's what I've got. I'm not so sure about the millennial generation as it stands right now. Maybe things will change by the time they get older. But as we've already discussed this podcast, people don't change. So maybe we're fucked in 30, 40 years. Um, But I I, I guess what I'm saying is I I feel like having that at the the core, having a, a millennial direct the film, I think definitely influenced some of the direction of where the film was going and some of the choices that the actors made. Now, I'm not sure if that was necessarily done with the script stage or if the directorial stage, but it felt influenced to me by, um, by, by a millennial hand. But with that being said, how do you direct Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine, and Alan Arkin? I think you just have to sit back and go, yeah. you guys, you don't, do, do you what don't. you do. You don't, yeah, yeah. Uh, as I have often said with you, you take the leash off. <laughs> I think that's you, what you, you got to do. You take the leash off and you, let them be. Yeah, because yeah. these guys know, I mean, they have more collective years spent in film. Any one of them has more years in film than just Zach Braff. Any one of them. I mean, they've been doing it longer than he's been alive. So how do you tell them, you know, your motivation's not quite right here. That, that, that's not a conversation you can have with these guys. So you like the movie primarily for these three guys. Yeah. Yeah, they can't do anything and wrong. And they had good either. gags. I mean, listen, I, I'm going to tip my hand early, and I know you, it's not going to be a money shot for you, but I did laugh watching Michael Caine drive this little jazzy scooter with Morgan Freeman sitting in the basket driving down the road. And I know that's not your style, I laughed. I thought it was funny. It was like, you know what? That's just, that's just silly fun. And I can appreciate it on that level. I liked it on that level. Overall, I liked the movie. I know. I think you it's liked it easy. more than I it's did. It's easy watching. It is easy, but I was bothered by those two things we spoke about previously, those two I issues. think philosoph- philosophically... Yeah. yeah, what's the theme here? What's the point? It was disturbing to me, philosophically. But in terms of just watching a popcorn movie and never having to think about it and just having it all spoon-fed to you... It's great, but if you analyzed it, if you scratched the surface, it really was disturbing. 
what it was saying about America. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a metaphor for, I think, a lot of what's wrong with our society. Um, I mean, what they did was wrong. And number two, the little girl lied. And so she's rewarded at the end with a smile, with a nod, with, we got you off, kid. Thanks. Well, the other implication is, is, is she next? Is she the next one to commit a crime? Uh, I mean, uh, you know, Michael Caine saw the bank robber in the opening scene and identified him. And then he wound up kind of uh, working with that same bank robber later on to, right. you know, to evade the police right. and committed more and more crime. And the implication is that this girl's going to go out and commit all these crimes now. Hmm. Perhaps. Well, yeah, she's evil. And as we know, she can't change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I did feel like some of the writing was a little forced. Uh, there were some definite moments that it didn't have teeth. If I, I do think that if this movie had been rated R, I think it could have been a lot more. They, they could have had some more edge to it, and that would have been a little bit more fun, as it were. Um, it, it was enjoyable enough, but I think it could have been a lot m- more. Uh, I don't want to say raunchy because then I get in trouble with. When Josh comes on the podcast and says, we don't need more potty humor. And I, I would agree. But I think they could have had some more sophisticated humor that might have um, might have been a little bit more edgy. And I would have liked that. I, I always think it's edgy when, I, I guess, like, the idea of the jazzy scooter thing of, like, the, the shop. Do you know what I'm talking about? The oh, shopping I sure scooter do. Thing? It's very cartoonish. Yeah. And I think um, we all kind of laugh at that because it's so outlandish, the idea of these... Um, older people who are, you know, th- who are that old, who are then racing down the road doing this very irreverent thing is funny to us. And, and we kind of giggle over it. Uh, but I think you could take that a little bit more extreme and maybe even make it a little bit more realistic if you'd had an R rating to it. So that was one of the things that held me back is, is the, just a little too family for my taste. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What yeah. else? What did you think? Well, I thought it was a, um, a definitely a connect the dots screenplay. I mean, you can, mm. again, see the pitch in one sentence. And when they got those three actors, obviously it was going to be greenlit right away. Um, I can break down other things. I, I think we're going to disagree on this. What's that? Well, first I want to get real personal. This is more about me rather okay. than the film. Um, We've talked about you once or twice in this yes, podcast. Yes, we certainly have, including that one notorious time. Oh, are you talking about the uh, okay. Fifty Shades thanks, thanks, po- podcast yeah, okay, where we talk about your sexuality? I don't, I don't remember. The listeners yeah. can check oh, out okay. on Google Play, Stitcher, All or right, iTunes. Everyone, thanks for joining us. And yeah, we'll t- just go ahead and do that. You know what? I was reacting strongly in this. By the way, it's interesting that I did see it this afternoon by myself at a theater in Encino packed with elderly Jewish people. And you know what? They loved the movie. They loved the movie. They were connecting to it. Um, for me, on a personal level... It was interesting watching my heroes grow up and get old. Mm. And these actors, and I remember, again, because I'm a little bit older than you, but watching Michael Caine and Alfie, mm. the original one, and, and uh, Chris File, and all these really cool movies, and watching him look um, old was having an effect on me. Uh, Alan Arkin, I think of the three actors, he's the most, I mean, Heart is Lonely Hunter, mm-hmm. and there's an incredible movie, and there's a reason why it's got... A hundred on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's something to see that. It, and Anne Margaret, Anne Margaret, who was incredible in movies like Bye Bye Birdie. God, I do sound like an old fart right now, don't I? Mm-hmm. But in what do you, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you in, in Bye Bye Birdie, and she was in with Elvis Presley, where she goes up and does seductive, and here she is older, 
more matronly. And um, it was just but still hitting me. hot in her own way. <laughs> yes, yes. But I was reacting to that, that heroes of mine are getting old like, like we all are. I just wanted to share that with you. Hmm. I don't think that... Um, of these three actors, I don't think these guys hold a candle to the original, the original really? three. Yes. I've not seen it. Yeah. By the way, speaking of the original, I'm really curious now, and I don't remember. I'm wondering how that ends. I'm wondering how the original going in style ends, um, if they're in jail at the end or not. That would be very curious, because in this remake, if they're not, that does reflect the times. I'll bet it? you a dollar that they do go to jail. I think they, I recall an image near the end where they're in jail at the end, as they should be. Yeah, hmm. yeah. So anyway, while you're talking, that, I'm going to look it up. I'm right. going to find out what happens at the end of that. Yeah, movie, we'll look it make up. Make sure you look at the original. Okay, 1979. So while Robert's doing that, I'm going to do a little rift here. Mm-hmm. You want to hear my John Wayne impression? Please. I ain't asking you to go out and do anything you don't want to do. If you don't want to do it, don't. But you sure as hell should. Okay. Well, now that I'm done rifting, um, and I think we're going to disagree on this one point that I want to share with you. Uh-huh. Um, these guys, A, don't hold a candle to the original three actors. And I don't think that Morgan Freeman is a great actor. We like his personality. Yeah. We like who he is. He's always the same. He's a one-note actor. He's a star. I and, know. And that's the difference. Yeah, he's a celebrity, yeah. not an actor. Not an actor. Of the three, Alan Arkin, he, and probably among today's movie-going crowd, he's the least well-known, I think, of the three. Yeah, for sure. Yet he is the most esteemed actor of of the three. Do you agree with that? Mm. Even more Man. than Michael Caine. No, Michael you just Caine. I think Michael oh, well. Caine's got craft. I, I mean, Alan Arkin, none of these guys are slouches at what they do. Absolutely. And Michael Caine, I got to tell you, in Cider House Rules, man, that, remember that movie yeah. about 12 years ago? Yeah. He was incredible in that movie. He, he was. But with Alan Arkin, and Morgan Freeman is, is a one-note actor, and I find that he's always the same. But you know what? I think you're absolutely right, but I'll watch him every time. It, it's comforting. Because you like him. He it's comforting. Comfort, yeah. comfort food. Yeah. Did you find the yeah, answer? I did. Let's so hear the I'm, I'm going to read from Wikipedia. This is going to be interesting. This is, scroll down to plot, last paragraph. Well, I'm going to read the last two paragraphs. Cool. All right? So uh, it's Pete, Joe, and Al. So I'm going to ruin the first one. This is, this is the last two paragraphs. It says, the next day, on his way to Al's funeral, Joe is arrested by the police, which he was expecting. At the police station, he is told that since he has no previous criminal record, he could potentially go free if he returns the money. Joe confesses to the bank robbery, but claims that he buried the stolen cash, and he stubbornly refuses to reveal its whereabouts. In the final scene, Joe, oh, sorry, Pete visits Joe in the state prison and suggests giving back at least the stolen portion of the money in the hope of a lighter sentence. Joe explains that for years, he felt like he was living in prison due to his dull life. Despite being incarcerated, Joe claims that he no longer has to cook or clean for himself. He gets three square meals a day and generally is getting treated like a king around here due to the other inmates hoping he'll reveal where the stolen money is. Joe tells Pete to just enjoy your inheritance. In the final shot, as Joe is being escorted Back to his cell by a guard, he looks mischievously at Pete and says with a wry smile, Besides, no tin horn joint like this could ever hold me. Boom. You see? How about that? Well, that's interesting. What, the very last line? No. Or just the fact that, the, the fact that you that, called does it. Does that reflect the times? Yeah. Does that reflect the times? Yeah. Yeah. It reflects the times. I don't like what it says. I think you're right. 
I had a real strong reaction to Robert. I didn't know we would agree on this. Now, people are going to say, oh, guys, it's just a movie. You're digging too deep. You're, but are mm-hmm. we? No. And I think there's a moral responsibility that when you do the crime, you got to pay the time. Yeah. Hmm. A little more about the, uh, a little more directly about the movie. Yes. Um, there was, there were a few money shots that I thought were really interesting. Uh, hold on, before I even get to that, I just, I was, I was having a brain fart. Was, I was just t- thinking about it. The bank itself, we were talking about this earlier in the podcast. The bank gets robbed. They don't increase their security measures. And then they get robbed again within a month. And all of the, the bank tellers operate the exact same way of just, whoop, here it is again. We just give you the money. There was, there's nothing the bank did to improve the, the resistance to being robbed. All they did was they, uh, they just shoved a couple of crutches in the door to make sure that they could get out when they were leaving, right? And then they walk in with these guns, pistols, I might add, and just hold up the place, and everybody just kind of... No, just like we asked us, all right, go fine here and go, here's your money. And then they walk out with no die packs, no real problem, other than somebody tripped an alarm, but they got out in time and right. evaded police. Right. It was too easy? Way too easy. Yeah. yeah. Way too easy. I know. I thought helicopters, we even saw a shot of a helicopter. Yeah. I thought I was going to follow them. Why didn't they show the helicopter? That was totally was misleading. Yeah, I know. Why? Do you remember that shot of the yes. helicopter? Yeah. Because you thought, well, okay, well, the helicopter's going to be after them. How are they going to get rid of these guys? Yeah, there, I guess what I'm saying is, um, the okay, the best part of Ocean's Eleven, it, we're talking about a heist movie. Now, I love heist movies. I think heist movies are really interesting because of the, it's almost like a magic trick. And we got to figure out how did they do it. And to me, the original, or not the original, but the, the Ocean's Eleven remake that Steve Soderbergh put together, that film is so masterful in terms of being a heist movie because it's a total magic trick that then at the end reveals here's how we did it. It's, a, it's Encyclopedia Brown. It's this thing where you get to see the, the big trick and try to figure out, well, how did they pull that off? But with this one, we never really got that. They tried to give us some of that, of like how did, you know, how did they um, make it look like they, were, they had an alibi. But first of all, we knew that they were going to, lie about where they were at. That, that wasn't really part of a magic trick. That was, that was shitty. Like, yeah, of course, you're going to say that you were at this fair while you were robbing a bank. Of course, none of that was interesting. The best part of Ocean's Eleven is how did they get the money out? How did they, you know, how, how did they get that money out of the casino? How did they make everybody think that they, um, that they were disappearing? And how does all that stuff work? And then we start to slowly see all the pieces come together. One of the money shots for me for this whole movie was the montage of them getting everything ready. I love the montages. I, I like montages in general, but I like that in this movie. I loved it in Ocean's Eleven when they, I mean, the, that whole movie was practically one big long montage. And in this movie, I thought it was really good. The problem was there wasn't enough payoff for it because right. they they do all the stuff like buying crutches and, um, and I would love to see, you know, learning how to hotwire the, the van. I would love to even see more of that medical equipment that they had been using incorporated in their robbery. I think that could have been a little more interesting to see, um, I don't know, like a wheelchair being involved or something that we associate with old people. And I think that could have been a little bit more of a personal touch that could have been cute. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the, the montage didn't have much of a payoff because there was, it seemed fairly easy to go rob that bank. 
Too easy. If you were going to rob a bank, how, how, first of all, what bank would you rob if you were going to rob a bank? Well, not my own bank. That's idiotic. Right. And even if you were going to rob a bank, a bank that you don't frequent, a bank that you don't know very much about, would you just, I mean, even if you weren't going to rob your bank, if, if I was going to rob my bank, I'd be fucked. How do, how do I even get in? They have double doors that you have to go in to like a little cell basically for a minute and they open one side at a time. Right. How do you get in? How do you get right. out? Right. And they check you, they metal detect you. Yeah. I mean, don't most, most modern some, banks do that? I think some do. Yeah, not all. I mean, this seemed to be a fairly metropolitan area. It was mm-hmm. New York, right? I can't imagine that there's too many banks that are just kind of, oh, yeah, we don't even have metal detectors. Come on in. In New York? I can't imagine that. Yeah, yeah. But I was, I was thinking this before. Why didn't they just set the movie in 1994? Didn't, did they need to make it modern day? They could have just rewound it 20 years or something and then set the movie 20 years ago. And that, and that would what? That would, that would solve that a lot of those problems. You know, the, uh, you metal could, detectors and right. You yeah. could kind of excuse it that way of like, well, you know, that just wasn't done in these times, or ni- 1962, right. something like that. You know, that could have worked as well. You don't even have to go to 90s. You could go back further and just make it a period piece. And then we go, okay, well, that makes sense. They're not going to have, you know, super thick plexiglass that prevents them from being shot installed after the after they're robbed the first time. This bank deserved to be robbed. That's what I'm saying. And to make matters worse, the other problem, too, with the whole premise of the movie is that it automatically assumed that by stealing the money from the bank... By the way, the bank did nothing wrong. All they did was do business with this other, you know, the steelworking company. They're doing business <coughs> legally and appropriately. And not only are these guys robbing from the bank, they're, the bank's not even losing any money. They're, I mean, the FDIC would reimburse the bank... For all of their lost money. The people aren't going to lose. The bank's not going to lose any money. Right, right. Who they're really stealing from is the government. That's true. That's true. So you're just taxing me more. You're right. You're right. right. That's all you're doing. You're just increasing taxes. You're just, you you are stealing money from welfare programs and other people. You're stealing from yourself. That's right. That's right. Well said. And again, speaking about that bank, it bothered me a lot. The coincidence that that was the same bank that was holding the mm-hmm. funds, uh, the pension funds, that, of course, made it more justifiable for them to go after that bank because it had all their money, which wasn't their money anymore. Which wasn't their money. Right, right. Michael King. Yeah, yeah. Man, that guy finger points. He does that finger wag. Have you noticed uh, that? Is that what he says this way? And speaking of putting together a clip of, of I know, same before I was teasing you about, I want to put together an audio clip of you stuttering, I want to see a video clip of Michael Caine finger-pointing in all of his movies. Just somebody putting together a YouTube video of, now listen here, you, I'm going to tell you once, and just Uh, him finger-wagging. I would love to see like 10 minutes of that Excuse me, what's this about an audio clip of my stuttering? I was teasing you earlier when you were like starting to say something, Mm, and I said I just want a big long clip of you for like, you know. Do I stutter? Not stutter, but like starting to say a sentence and then stop That's because you interrupt me, that's why Oh. <laughs> um, let's talk about money yeah, shots. Yeah, you, oh, you like the else? movie. I want to say one more thing. I think on this one specific point, perhaps we will disagree. Okay. I didn't like the music. Now, I'm not talking about the standard classic songs that were in there, but I'm talking about the mood music, the background music, which was telling me how to feel. Yeah. It was like... Now, I've talked about that on this. Or it was more somber. Instead, as you well know, the music should 
uh, supplement or interpret what's going on, but not not force it down my throat. Yeah. I found the music disturbing, distracting, distracting. I, I, I've talked about that on this podcast before, and I agree with you. I do think the montage music worked well for me. There were a couple of, and that was, there was some score that was done that was fun. It was lighthearted and definitely felt caper-esque. It felt heist, heist movie-esque, but it, it wasn't anything that was really original. It's stuff that I have heard before, that kind of 70s-influenced um, kind of upbeat like doop, 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 kind of noise that we're, we're putting the, the plan together. And I've heard that in a lot of films. It was definitely here in this film. And I enjoyed that. But other than that, most of the score I did feel like was a little patronizing. It was it's kind of telling you how to feel. Yeah. Yeah. You know something else that I noticed with this movie? Um, Amy Kaufman was the casting director for this movie. And she has casted so many movies. And I was taking a note of that, of, of all of these actors that come into play for this movie. And um, I, it's something that, we just kind of flippantly talk about casting sometimes, not just on this podcast, just in just in day-to-day life. And I pulled up her IMDb webpage, and there's just so many amazing films that are all casted by the same woman. Now, she casts practically everything. And I was just thinking, you know, what a huge difference casting makes in some of these films. Uh, you know, she put together the casting for Sixth Sense, and just think about what a different film it would be without Haley Joel, Joel Osment. I mean, uh, you know, when we were talking a few weeks ago about actors perfect for the role, right. I'm not sure if he came up or not in our list of discussions, but, man, I, that would have been a totally different movie with anyone else except for that kid. He was so good in that movie. And as I was thinking about this later on, I started it kind of dawned on me, we never mentioned Ron Perl- Perlman from Hellboy, that guy was made to be Hellboy. Right, right. Um, But right. some of the, the shows that Ava Kaufman has, has put together, she doesn't get her due in terms of being a, a shaper of Hollywood. And she really is in terms of some of the films and, and television shows, uh, you know, like the, uh, the Born Identity movies and, uh, and even like some of the, the major, major films that we think of that are kind of staples of Hollywood that she's had her stink all over. So I don't know, it's something that, I think that we should at least give a little bit of consideration to when we watch films is who envisioned these actors for these roles. And I mean, for this kind of film, you can almost just say, okay, here, who are the, the people that we would normally think of? I'm sure they were thinking of, of Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. I'm sure that had to be in discussion for this, uh, for this kind of film. Sure. Michael Douglas. Sure. You know, those were, those names were brandied about, but even some of the, the, you know, lesser roles where you've got these roles that people come on for a line or two, those can be very, very influential. Right, right. And, and shape the movie. And the waitress, the waitress right. in the coffee shop, she was down. That was kind of a touching moment, by yeah. the way. That worked for me at yeah. the end. When they, when they got, leave her some money. Yeah, yeah, that was a touching Because she was a good, good person yeah. as well. Yeah, well. And she was aiding and abetting as well. She knew what they did. Did she? Well, where do you think she thought they got that much money from? Uh... And you think she's not going to hear about a bank being robbed twice? Well, fuck her. She should go to jail, too. Seriously? I know you're making a joke. Well. Wait, you're saying fuck her and then send her to jail? <laughs> yeah, but what she did was nearly as bad as that little, little Asian girl. Man, we got to fry her. She was wrong. Yeah, the, the waitress just didn't snitch. Well, I guess the little girl didn't snitch either. No, but, but she, li- she overtly lied to get a guy true. off. The, so yeah. I think that's a worse crime. 
Um, mm, money shot. Let's talk about it. Money shots. So for me, as I already mentioned, the uh, the montage was a big money shot. I had a few money shots from this. I like the I like the scene of them on the little scooter zipping out of the the um, grocery store garage uh, parking lot. But one of the the two money shots that really I thought were nice was the telephone scene when yeah. Um, yeah. when Michael Caine is calling. Uh, Morgan Freeman and Alan Arkin's character. Alan Arkin and Morgan Freeman are roommates, and Michael King calls them and is convincing them to uh, to do this bank robbery with him. And it's it was really a touching scene because they're all kind of laying down in bed, and they they do it all with this, some some really side by side cutting. It feels very 1970s with these like little it really, sliding. It did look dated. Yeah, but I liked it. I thought it was kind of cool. I thought it worked. So I really I, that's a shot and that scene that's really gonna stick with me is them trying to convince each other to, to do this heist. Right. That was right. one of my big money shots. Right. Right. I can see why you feel that way. It did look very 1970s. The mm-hmm. way they did that on the screen, it, you know, that was, a it did not work for you. Com- I don't know. I, I, it reminded me suddenly about like other movies like, you know, Thomas crown affair where they had the multiple images on the screen simultaneously right. moving about. But yeah, I, I guess for my only, Money shot, and I, again, I think you like this movie more than I did, huh? By the way, overall, what would you give? I it? give it a C plus. Me too. I thought you were going to give it a B. Maybe I B minus. Go to a B. Maybe B minus. I can yeah, see that. I'm saying I'm saying C plus. For me, a money shot. It happened a couple times in the movie. There's something very touching about Michael Caine walking with his granddaughter mm-hmm. uh, by when he picks her up at the school, and there was a very loving dynamic between the two of them. And I just liked those couple of scenes in the movie where I saw the two of them together. I did too. The the one thing about that the actress that played his daughter, you could kind of tell she realized this is what was a big opportunity for her, yes. and she was really trying to get in some sassiness into the role, but not try to do too much. Yeah. She had she it was interesting to to watch her um, try to be natural, and some of the lines in there that like uh, it was so awkward where she's saying like, "Oh, but you're you're my best friend." What teenage girl is best friends with her grandpa? And if she is, that's kind of sick. Like, uh, first of all, you're not well. You're not social socialized very well. Like, you you <laughs> need to have friends that are your own age. And second of all, I mean, it's it's okay to be friendly with your grandpa, but if that's the relationship you have with your grandpa, that's a little weird. And to not, if he's your best friend, to not suspect him of robbing a uh, bank. But what about the way she would call him her grandfather, young man? Yeah. Well, that seemed to be a, that was, a, that a was, that through was a, line for right, all of them, right? right? They're all right, kind of right, calling each other right. that. Maybe that was their thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give that a pass. Yeah. Young man. But you like the scenes between them? I really do. Is did. there a scene in particular? I mean, this is uh, the money. Keep in mind, I a know. money shot is something that should be, uh, and just to, for our listening audience, when we say money shot, we mean what are the, what are the shots or what are the scenes that you're going to remember of this film for years to come? When somebody says to you later on, hey, did you ever see Going right. Style? Here you go. You're going to think of this shot or this e- scene. Even though I found that a touching scene, but you're right. As far as reflecting more of what the movie is, the money shot, and... It's not positive. It's negative, but it's still a money shot. It's when the little girl lies in the lineup, mm. and they look at each other. So that's they, what's going to stick in your mind. Yeah, unfortunately. And it's, it's a negative for me, but it still is a money shot. A now, money here's shot. what's really interesting, because I think that when you have those kinds of money shots, I think when you start focusing, because yours is now a negative money shot, yeah. you will start to 
strip away other memories of this movie. And over time, right right now, you just gave this movie a C plus. And without having this conversation in front of you, if we were to revisit this film by memory in, say, a year or two years or maybe even three years, come back to it and say, what did you think of this movie? I wonder if it would still have the same rating. I would be willing to bet you probably have it like a D or maybe even lower and say, I hated that movie because of what it represented. Yeah, yeah. Well, sure. I mean, memories aren't objective. So in a lot of ways, the money shots that we select really do influence our, our, our perception of the film. Of film. Mm-hmm. That would be a good name for a podcast, Money Shot Podcast. Money Shot Podcast. Hmm. I mean, it doesn't That's flow off bad. the tongue very well. Maybe. But, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I still like a name for a podcast being, uh, so what'd you think? So what'd you think? <laughs> um, one of the other uh, money shots for me that I really liked, I thought this worked really well, was uh, at the end... When Michael Caine is at Alan Arkin's funeral, and everyone yeah. is there, and he's saying something very somber, and they pull back, and I, I R- thought this R- is such an Ira moment. Uh, you they Ira? pull back. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought of is- you in this moment because it's at the funeral. Alan Arkin's dead, and Michael Caine is saying some really, really touching things, and we pull back to reveal, nope, it's actually a wedding, and it's Alan Arkin's wedding that Michael Caine is at, and he's saying some really touching things. Because he's about to get married. I fell for it. Did you? I did too. I did. Yeah. I was manipulated. I liked it. It worked. And I was like, it I, worked. I, I, I was manipulated and I instantly went, this is Ira. That's an Ira shot. It's That's an Ira. such yeah. a great yeah. Ira moment. It was a great reveal yeah. in that scene. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's quite a compliment. Yeah, it was nice. Um, yeah, but that's all my money shot. Did you yeah. have any money no, shots? No, I didn't have any others. Hmm. No. No. So all you're going to remember is this little Asian that's girl and her stay doll. That's going to me. Yeah. In the gym, lying to the police. I was bothered by the thesis of this movie. The you know, message. something else about the police. Back on that. Sorry to, to let Ty- this, not let this tired go. Tired of this. Always. The police kept repeating this. You know, Matt Dillon had this Matt cheesy D- line of, you know, we'll find you. That's what we do. Well, yeah. What cop does, first of all, what cop what turns cop down an address that? of like, hey, let me give you my address. No, we don't want your address. We'll find you. What the fuck kind of police work is that? And second of all, when Matt Dillon says those things, he's trying to sound like a badass, but he's incompetent the entire time, right? What, what did they do? Did the police do anything other than talk, you know, find this girl who I'm sure was there at the scene of the crime? And then they said, all right, but this girl thinks that she might have seen one of the robbers, so we'll, we'll bring them down for questioning. The police have done nothing. They're largely incompetent. So what was the message of the police? The police were... You know, braggadocious, and yet they still... Yeah, 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 yeah. They're incompetent. and inept. Yeah. Right. Hey, Robert, in that same moment in the, in the restaurant, what was going on with petting the dog? And the dog bit him, Matt Dillon, right? Well, the and, money... And the, they handed the money off to, the, to the, their trainer, the guy who trains them in, right. what, two weeks, 19 days, however many days it was, to rob a bank, which, yeah, good luck with that. Uh, but he trains them. And then he gives them their cut of the money by putting the money at, on the roof of the, the little carrier, Cage. dog carrier. Cage. Right. Okay. Right. So he gives them a dog and puts all the cash on the, the, tapes it to the top. Oh, that's why we had that slow shot from inside with the camera pulling. Like, I felt something. Oh, you didn't see the money strapped I, to no, the top? Okay. Thank you for explaining that. I'm serious. Me. Yeah, I missed that. Oh, yeah. I yeah. missed that. I didn't know. Why is this being focused maybe, on right Maybe now? it wasn't very well lit, but yeah. it was there. Yeah, maybe I was too angry. Maybe I was Perhaps. zoning out. Yeah. 
Yeah. Interesting. Or maybe you were just getting that hand job. Yeah. yeah. See what One I mean? One of the elderly Jewish women you, I was sitting with. Right. See, this is, this is what I'm saying. You say you can watch the movie and get the hand job. <laughs> I say you can't. Robert, I think the most revealing moment, seriously, in this particular podcast was looking at the original 1979 and seeing the ending 180 degrees the yeah. other way. That says and, so much. You know, that's such a 70s ending. The, the ending was this, this, you know, what, 10, what do you say? This, basically, this prison is not going to hold me, indicating there's another crime Absolutely. coming. Absolutely. And I'll be and very that, true to my character, and you ain't going to hold me back. Okay. And that's cool. But that's it's very, ended very with, 70s. Yeah, very anti-hero, like, stand up against jail, the system. Yeah. But this is, this is different. This is like you're entitled to the money, and you deserve it. Yeah. Good reveal, Ira. Nicely done. Thank you. Can this I ask fun. you a question? See, what, what? Have you forgotten a hand job at the movie theater? Well, other than this afternoon? Other than this afternoon. You do- See, you're doing it again. <laughs> you know, I have friends and family who... Who listen- jerk you off at the movie theater? Well, actually, I don't have any family, but I have... Um, have I ever gotten lucky in a movie theater? Is what you're asking me? Is that, is that lucky? <laughs> <laughs> Depends on who it's with. <sighs> Have you ever gotten <coughs> jerked off at a movie theater? Oh, I don't remember. Maybe once or twice. Once or twice. Or seven or eight, nine times. <laughs> I don't know. What was his name? Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> All right. His well, name was Robert. Uh, uh, nicely done, my friend. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Uh, if you if you were to get jerked off in the movie theater, <laughs> do you think you could focus on the movie? Or do you get lost? No. I, y- yes, I could still focus on the movie, and that's not good. Hmm. I wish I would get lost, lost, but I'm able to compartmentalize. So your penis has a mind of its own, right? It's kind of going, yeah, we'll, we'll deal with this down here. You watch the movie. The, yeah, the other head. The other head is yeah. watching the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think I could do that. Yes, you could. Man, I don't know. Well... Let's There's only one way to find out. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like we're making a trip to the movie theater tonight. Yeah. Let's talk about some top five. Good. This is top fun. five last heists. Now, last we need to discuss heist. what we mean by this, right? We sure do. Define terms, please. Well, I think by this, what we mean to say, what I was meaning to say was, these are movies where the gang is trying to do one last heist. And I think that's in spirit with the movie that we Absolutely. both saw. Absolutely. Uh, the, the gang is not intending to do more heists after this. <coughs> Uh, the, it's a one-time only, or in any other case, it could be like the gang is retiring or something along those lines, and it's it's one last time for the road. Right. First, we called it one last job. Yeah. But we thought job was a little bit too vague and nebulous. We decided to use the word heist, but I loved it a few nights ago when I texted Robert and said, because we go back and forth on defining our top five for the, the coming podcast. Yeah, I found that I have to reel you in a little bit and, and, and well, define what actually, we're saying. Who real, well, I like clarity with definitions. You reel me yeah, in this well, week, I think. And um, I know, but maybe I should, well, yeah, because I said as far as, um, does last have to be stated, literally stated in the film, or can it be implied? I think you could go implied. And and you actually wrote back, said, I'll go with implied, but I kind of sense no, it's okay. can I virtually think, be stated. Because I can't remember if every one of where these. Where they're actually going to say, say it, it, but it's got to be felt. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Good. Our top five. You want me to start well, or you want to go? Once again. Well, it's your years first. All right. But My, I, yeah? There's something, I, you're going to glare at me. Uh-oh. Yeah. 
I'm, I, I, it's not so many scoops of ice cream like I usually do. Mm-hmm. I'm asking when we get to my turn that you'll give me a, a gimme, a sixth one, which doesn't quite fit, but I want to acknowledge it anyway. Thanks, Robert. Okay, you're up. Let's hear your number five. Don't we do that every week? I know, I know, I know. That's I know, every I know, week, know, and you can't contain yourself <laughs> to just top five. All right, my top five. Uh, coming in fifth for me, uh, top five last job movies, Point Break. That- and I, this is the 1990s Catherine Bigelow version uh, with uh, Keanu Reeves and uh, I was about to say Patrick Stewart. Uh, what's his uh, name? Swayze. Patrick Swayze. Swayze thank you. Uh, Patrick Stewart would be such Patrick a great. Uh, make it so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What a great version of that That's movie. That's very it funny. Would be. That's right. Make it so. Uh, so, anyway, the uh, uh, point break is the, the you know, the. The great, iconic characters that are uh, that we—I mean, that movie is just so quotable. I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he was talking about Utah. Give me two, and uh, I've been saying that all week, like two Utah. And there's so, so many great, awesome lines from that movie. Um, it's memorable moments. The um, the busting in on on Tom Sizemore when he was kind of trying to infiltrate the Red Hot Chili Peppers gang. You don't know any of this stuff, but I... I've seen the movie twice. I have the Blu-ray. Yeah? It was on my list. Was it on your list? Seriously. Is it on your list or it was on your list? I took it off for an interesting reason, which Mm. I'll bring up when you're done. Do you know who Anthony Kiedis is? It doesn't matter. I still have my valid point to make, but go ahead. So... The guys... One of the guys... You remember the gang that's... uh, That... Johnny Utah mistakenly thinks is the bank robbers. Do you remember this? And then they go in and do the big raid and they bust in on the guys and it turns out to Got not it. be those guys. Mm-hmm. The, the lead singer of the band Red Hot Chili Peppers played one of those gay, gang members. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah, there you go. Is that go ahead. What's your number five? Cinematography. Oh, we'll movie. move on. Cinematography is amazing. Yeah, it is. It that is. Whole, that's a great action movie. movie. Yeah, it is. It's and, cheesy as hell. And directed and by Bis Bigelow. How about that? See, yep. I, I had it on my list, but I got to say one thing. I'm going to give you, you know, you often give me a hard time with my five mm-hmm. questioning some of them. The movie wasn't really about the last heist. Now, wait, oh, let, me let me finish. Let me finish. They did a heist and it worked. And then when the bad guys realized the FBI was on to them, they no more heists. So you can make the argument, well, that was their last heist, mm. only because nope. they're getting pressure I from the man. No, you need to go back and watch the movie. Seriously? Because they literally say the line, they we're going to do one last then job the fuck I'm talking before about. they, I love it. Before then they right. leave. Then you're right. And they, and they were saying that they, uh, that's why they, they broke their own rules, because they, uh, they say that they're going to, they normally never go for the vault. And this time they decide to go for the vault because it's the last time. So it is. One last it. time. Did you see the remake? Uh, yes. I, I wish I didn't. Oh, why would they bad. even do that? I, you, you know you know me. How often do I say a movie is bad? Yeah, that's rare. And that, that movie was pretty one, hard to watch. Why would they even do that? Okay. All right. Now, I'm going to cheat a little bit again, if I may. Right, and I'm going to mention as a sixth one, thanks for giving me this one scoop of ice cream. Robert, are you familiar with a movie called How to Steal a Million, 1966? And I the don't premise, think I am. The I premise haven't seen is it. really, really cool. And it was with um, where uh, Audrey, um, uh, Audrey Hepburn, Hepburn uh, her father, her father, who, who was um, Eli Wallach, listen to this cast, and Peter mm-hmm. O'Toole. 
And by the way, Johnny Williams. Tool. Yeah. Those eyes. John Williams did the music. How about that? Oh, wow. Yeah. And here's the really, the two-sentence premise was that her father, Eli Wallach, was an art collector of forged items, knowing it was all, he forged them, they were bad, and he was a collector of it so he could sell and make money. The, the FBI was wise. They were going to expose him. So she, the daughter, hires the thief to break in and steal her father's paintings to save his fa- her father's ass. Mm. And that was really a cool premise. That's really interesting. It is. It's a really cool premise. And it was a great movie in 1966. And I'm just mentioning that because I'm cheating and I'm giving that my number six one. And it's not really... It's a one heist movie. I see. Not the last... Then I was thinking, well, if it's one heist in the whole film... Surely that's a last heist by definition. I would account that though. I would almost yeah. Because this movie that we just saw was I mean, the same thing. Yeah, right. Going in style heist. was yeah, one, heist. one heist. Thanks for letting me articulate that. That's not included. I'm, I want to check f- that movie out. You've yeah, kind of yeah. convinced me. Yeah, great cast. Great cast. And um, how to steal a million million. Number five, Thomas Crown Affair. Uh, the, the original one, the original one, absolutely. 1968, and uh, with Steve McQueen and so on, and incredible cinematography by. Mm. Haskell Wexler, although I read an interesting article recently that that movie was almost too beautifully photographed, where it detracted from your enjoyment. You're very aware of the camera and the beautiful lighting throughout the whole film. But I again, don't think that's possible. You don't think that's possible? No. Wouldn't you want to make the argument that truly the best cinematography is when you're not aware of it? No. <laughs> I love the way you just said no. No, I don't think so, because I think... I, I, I think... I, I think that you can appreciate certain aspects of a film differently. And if you're lost in the story, that's one aspect. But if you're just looking at... I mean, they called them pictures for I how know. long? It's a moving picture. And I, I think... I, I can understand that idea of trying to make everything kind of invisible and just letting yeah, the story Yeah, or like the play. editing of a movie. If you're unaware of it, then the editor did a great job. No? <laughs> but I think if it's beautifully edited and if, if it really is truly interesting then that's part of the, the essence of the film. And I think if you photograph it beautifully, you've done your job. I, I think the idea of doing your job too well, I don't like okay. that. Okay. I, but I can, I can understand yeah. the idea. I can appreciate yeah. it. For me, I've never seen a movie that's too pretty. That's too pretty. That was an interesting article that was critical for that very reason. But at any rate, whether it's the chess scene mm. in that film or the glider airplanes and so on, and the, the song was very important, late 60s, Windmills of Your Mind. And so it was an important film, 1968. What were you about to say? Did you ever see uh, What Dreams May Come, the movie with Robin Williams? I sure did. In and out of paintings. That movie almost, almost bordered on the line of being so visual. Self-conscious. Right. Visual. And it was kind of like, right. tone it down a little bit. Right. You don't have to go that extreme. So that's... I could maybe go there with right, you. Right, right, with that example. Yeah, I agree. But at um, any rate, so Steve McQueen, um, art crook, and she was what? FBI, she was an insurance company representative. Right. And it was a cool, complicated movie, and that's my number five. All right. My number four, 2001 movie, written and directed by one of my favorites, David Mamet. Movie is Heist, with Gene Hackman, and uh, Danny DeVito's in that movie. Is he? Have you seen Heist? I haven't. Heist is good. And it's got a real twist. It's uh, Mamet's style of directing is really interesting. It, I don't know how much you know about Mamet. Mamet is very... Um, I, I love Mamet's philosophy behind directing, behind filmmaking, behind writing. He believes very much that the writer should write the film. And the actors... He does not believe in improvisation of the actors. He believes that the actor's job is to take exactly what was written 
Every word of it. If it says the, you say the. You do not say uh. You say the because that's what the, the writer did. And the actor should take those words and bring those words to life. That's their role. And the director should be guiding that person in terms of how, how to best go about the emotional... Like it's old school, isn't it? It is. It is it's old real time. old school. And I can appreciate where he's coming from because to otherwise have them just kind of improvise the gist of it saying, well, this is what my character would say. Oh, no, no. Your job as actor is to take the words that you were given and make them into what your character would say. And I think he, he also has written a lot to, about that saying most writers have slaved over these characters for months and months and months and, and sometimes years. And then to have an actor come in and say, well, my character would do this, this, and this, usually they haven't lived with the character as long as the writer has. So really, they're not doing their job as thoroughly as a writer in a lot of situations. I like that philosophy. And watching that, the problem becomes if actors are not real, real good, you'll see them get very stiff in a David Mamet film because they can't form their way around the words. Um, there was one mammoth film, the name escapes me right now, but it was uh, with Val Kilmer. And Val Kilmer, just I always took note of how smooth he was around some of these words that I know Mammoth's style, and I know he was not going to let Kilmer get away with it. And Kilmer really did a nice job of, uh, of, of making those words come to life. And I think this is another movie, too. Like it, you, When you watch Gene Hackman and Danny DeVito pull off Mammoth's words, it's really interesting to, to see. Hmm. And... There's some great twists in that movie that are definitely worth checking out. I know that too that your own personal philosophy as a director. We spoke about this, Robert. Yeah, was that the actors should adhere to the words on the script? I do. Yeah, I know. And, we had to talk about that before our own shoot. Yeah, yeah. And I think in some ways you kind of have to let them go. I think maybe Mammoth is a little too stringent on it, but. I think most people, when they watch our film, I think they think there, a lot of that stuff was improvised. It feels that way, doesn't it? And it's it? not. I know that. I know that. But it does feel that way. I, I, as you know, I watched it again late last night. Yeah. And it felt that way. And we know that it's not. Mm -hmm. Which is a compliment to the actors and your directing skills. Yeah, I think it's really a compliment to the actors. Yeah. Okay. By the way, are you, we're predicting any overlaps. I wonder. There might, uh, I think we were going to overlap think, a lot, but now that I'm looking at it, I don't think we will. You don't think so? I know what you have I think. Later, I think there's on. one that we might. I th but we're not. I know you think that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see one we word got. starts with the same letter we'll as your. Okay. All right. Never mind. Uh, for my number four, The Wild Bunch. The Wild Bunch. You didn't That's a that. good Thank idea. You. I didn't Thank even you. think about that as a heist movie. 1969, Sam Peckinpah. I should have guessed that. The you love The Wild Bunch. Well, it's a hell of a movie, isn't it? I mean, look at the cast, right. the cinematography, everything about that movie. And it starts off with a, with a heist, and it ends with a heist. The last heist, and the whole thing is a beautiful metaphor for outliving your time, that these characters don't belong in this era of the Wild West anymore. No country for old men. Mm, same theme. Same thing. Uh, again, Sam Peckinpah, known for a lot of violent movies. You know, a lot of, a lot of yeah. Rifleman Didn't episodes. Straw Dogs? Yes. The original. Right. The original Straw Dogs he did. So uh, that's my number four. Yeah. All right. Nice. My number three. Yes. A De Niro movie, The Score, with Edward Norton. Did you see this movie? No. It's, uh, I think it was the last movie that Marlon Brando did before he died. And they had a lot of trouble trying to direct Marlon Brando. But... Um, it was a, a heist movie that, again, has some really interesting twists. And that's what I love. I love in, in these heist movies, I love the twist. I love when you, you think they're going to zig and they actually zag. And to me, that's, that's the magic trick of all of it. I love 
that the filmmakers know how an audience is going to react. And they're, they're saying, you're going to feel this way. And then you're going to try to outthink us by thinking it's this way. But that. it's actually this way. And that to me, I love that when that happens. And when people get double-crossed and you think you've got it all figured out and they go, none. I mean, this is the three-card Monty game. You have some guys on the street. It's that kind of level of thinking where your chess moves ahead of your audience when the, the audience feels like, okay, well, I know you're going to try to trick me, so you're going to try to say this. And it's actually this, this, and this. It's too, too far it. ahead. And that, the score definitely has some of those moments. All right. What's your number nice, three? Nice. Number three, I mentioned the title earlier. I alluded to it. You assumed that I meant the original. No, the Italian job, but the one that was made in 2003. Ah. 2003, and I think you said not the one with Marky Mark. But that was, have you you seen that? It's really good. It's a hell of a movie. I just knowing what I know about you, and I would think that you would for sure go for the Michael Caine version. Oh, I never saw it. You never saw it? I never saw the original. I never saw the original with Michael Caine. I never saw the original Michael Caine. It's good, but uh, the remake, I think, is actually better. It's a it's, hell it's of slick. a movie. Yeah. It's really slick. Yeah. It's real slick. And it's, it's, you know, it starts with a heist, it ends, and the, second, the final heist is really getting even. It's, it's a fuck you. Now, is and, that their last job? Do they say that? Uh, <laughs> it's waiting for you to say that, you fucker. I'm going to make the argument it's implied because the sole purpose of that big heist and the climax of the film in Act 3 was to just get even, retaliation. And once they got that, they've accomplished what they need. You're not buying that? No, I don't think so, Ira. Because then I think, uh, then would they never do another job again? It was revenge. Granted. But does that mean that they're done after this? They've succeeded. It was almost like the the cash didn't matter. They got the revenge. Was Donald Sutherland. Was Donald Sutherland going to retire? Yes. He was going to retire, but he was handing over the business. Yes. Well... Okay, but if Donald Sutherland's character was about to retire, a mastermind got revenge on the bad guy, game over. Yes, now, I'll let we you did go it. on a technicality. Will you give me a squeak by on that yeah, one? Yeah, I'll let you squeak by on that. It's hell of a movie. It is a good movie. Okay, you ready for my number two? I like this, Robert. This is fun. <laughs> what do you like about it? The sharing the vibe, back and forth. Do you like staring longingly into my eyes? Well, that too. <laughs> All right, well, my. Number two movie is a 1978 film, and this is what I think we might cross over on. Starring Dustin Hoffman, Straight Time. Did you ever see Straight Time? I never saw it. You would love it. Straight Time. Straight Time. Dustin Hoffman and a very, very young, uh, oh, what's her name? Um, Kathy Bates is in this movie. It's really good and holds up really well. Dustin Hoffman plays a criminal who's released from prison and wants to go straight. And he starts hanging out with some of his older friends, Gary Busey, who's kind of going, yo, yo, we, we're back in the game, right? And he's going, no, 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 I, I, I'm straight now. I'm trying to go straight. And, of course, he gets sucked back into this world. And it's, all right, one last time, but we're done after this. And, you know, the, they start trying to, to do this... Um, they're doing this crime, and he knows that his friend, he knows Gary Busey is going gonna, is gonna to fuck it up. And he's going to step in to kind of help him get it straight. But in the process, he's kind of getting sucked back into the underworld. It's a good movie. You'd like it a lot. Wow. I'll watch it. Kathy Bates is awesome in it. And she's thin. It's weird. Kathy Bates? Kathy Bates you is thin. You must be thinking of someone else. No, the Kathy Bates. You see her, and you're kind of going, 
Yeah, she was kind of hot. Wow. Wow. I mean, not hot, but she was... Yeah. But she was thin. She was thin. Yeah. And great even back then, 1978. Yeah, she's great, period. I'm surprised you don't know this movie. I am, too. I'll watch it. It's got your boy in it. Yeah, it's my, my boy. D. Hoffman? D- oh, yeah, Benjamin. Big D? Benjamin Braddock. Yeah, there you go. Elaine! Hey, isn't it just the, uh, what, 50th anniversary Yes, for that movie? it is. Let's this go year? see it. Let's go see Let's it. Let's go see it. 50 years. We could put that on a, uh, a review for Money Shot podcast. I would love that. Let's do yeah. that. Hmm. All, right. All right, what's your number two? Okay, my number two is going to be the surprise. This is Ira thinking out of the box. Mm, here we go. Here we go. This is it. I love that your scoops of ice cream actually fit the box, but your actually you're in right. your top five. The top five dope, the scoops of ice cream. You felt my um, How to Steal a Million does indeed fit. Absolutely. Yeah, that's funny. But this one, I'm going to make the argument fits, but it's something that you wouldn't have expected, period. It's a mad, 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 mad world. You saw it. No, wait a minute. Okay, let's talk. 1963. There, by the way, Stanley Kramer, yeah. and he did all these important socially relevant films, gotcha. and he tried his hand at comedy, and it was a wildly successful film. The good A movie, story. Hmm? Good movie. It was a good movie with all these incredible then comedic actors, people who were in the A list of comedy performers were in this movie. Everyone was in this movie. Mm-hmm. But there was a B story, Robert, that had a profound effect on me, and it was the police chief, Spencer Tracy who was about to retire, and he's fed up. He's bickering with his wife. He doesn't like his enough people, and he decides to steal the money, abscond with it, because he's getting a small pension. So you've got this elderly Hmm. Spencer Tracy, and he decides that whole thing with the big W and all that, he's going to take the money, and this is his last hurrah for an elderly man. I will accept. I think that should be in your top five. Robert. Thank you. Nicely I was done. really proud of that. That came at me at three in the morning. Yeah? Yeah. It had, his role had a lot of pathos to balance out the silly... Everyone was in that movie. You know, you know Jimmy Durante, Jerry Lewis, and Jack Benny, blah, blah, blah. The aforementioned he, Don Knotts. Don, Don Knotts, yeah. And here, here we see Spencer Tracy, aging, about to retire, pension, not enough to get by on, hates his job, hates his wife. He's going to steal the money at the end. Wasn't Abbott and Costello in that movie? Probably. I think they I'm had a little sure. cameo. Maybe a lot of people had cameos. That's my number uh, two. That's a good one. Thank you. And that's unique. That's not yes. one that we would normally think of. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of things that we wouldn't normally think of, my number one is not one thing we wouldn't normally think of. I it's know that's complicated. It's not one. There's double negative. Yes. Which means. We know exactly what my I know number what one it is going to be. Say it. Well, you say it. I think you said heat. No. Heat, yes, of course, heat. Uh, of course. Uh, the look on your face of like, how could you I not? Know, I know, Yeah, I, heat is just, it's so good. It's so good. Um, I, I do want to say that I wanted to put Rafifi on that list, but I can't recall if whether or not Rafifi was a, um, a last heist or not. It definitely was a heist movie. Right. And, uh, and I love Rafifi a lot. And it would have been on my top five, but I couldn't recall if it was a last heist or not. But... He, they explicitly state, okay, we're going to do one last thing, and then we're done after this. And, uh, and man, that movie is so fucking good. Great acting, great cinematography, great writing, great direction. Everything is so good. It doesn't follow this typical formula, and yet it, it's, it's, so, it's so just raw, and, and it's got something there to it. It's got great, as you were talking before about B stories, there's these B stories and even C stories that start to come up. And watching 
watching the movie over repeatedly just gives so many new layers and texture to the film. It's it's great. It's one of my favorite films. Remember, weren't you saying last week that there was one shot that was obviously green screened? Yeah. Remember we talked about yeah, that. Yeah, and it's, it's that's the part that I always kind of cringe at. Um, but I, I it, it now has I've seen it so many times that watching that one shot. I almost kind of look forward to it of like, to, if I'm ever watching it with someone, I'll point out and be like, do yeah. you see how yeah. bad it was? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's almost kind of got some charm yeah. to it yeah. now, but yeah. yeah, it's really bad. I had a feeling that would be your top one. That was your number one, wasn't it? That's my number yeah. one. Okay. I, I wanted to put it lower, but then I thought, you know, I'm not even being true to myself at this point. Heat is, it's the, it's arguably the best heist movie ever. And it's definitely the, ba- the best last heist movie. What do you got? Nice. Two words. Second word is heat. Blank oh. heat. Body heat. Ah, uh, body heat. Now, wait, hold on. That was, uh, what's his name? Oh, I know body heat. That's the, the, the one with the chick, right? The, uh, oh. what's the guy's name? Oh, the director? Yeah. Uh, it's with um, Lawrence Kasdan. Lawrence Kasdan. Ka- you're thinking of, there was body double. Is that what you're thinking of? Maybe. Hold on. Go ahead. Tell okay, me about Body, Body Heat. 1981, Lawrence Kasdan uh, wrote it and directed it. Kathleen Turner, uh, William Hurt was in it. And it's it's a hot, steamy, sexy movie. And uh, by the way, you know who did the music? John Barry. How about mm-hmm. that? He did the music. And it, it's a complicated plot, which I won't get into right now. But the last shot showing Kathleen on the beach that she succeeded with this double twist ending and it's definitely implied that this is a one-time shot, and indeed she gets away with it at the end. Uh, they even flash the detectives look at her. They find her high school yearbook, and under her picture in the yearbook with all the graduates, it says, want to live on a desert island, and the last shot is her on a desert island, hmm. just enjoying herself and the sun and this hunky man she's with. It's, it's an amazing film. Again, great music, cinematography, and it was Kathleen Turner when she was thin as well as Kathy Bates. And I think it's a one-time heist. She gets away with it, and that's it. So mm-hmm. All right. that's, that's my... Uh, you liked Mad Mad World more, didn't you? I that did. Was more, uh, that was more, more interesting. Unique. It yeah. was more unique. Those are my top five. I was thinking of... What were you thinking Brian of? De Palma. I knew you were... And, and I, it feels like a Brian De Palma film. It does. With Nancy Allen. <laughs> it just... I mean, all it, there's so much voyeurism going on in, in Body Heat. It's, that movie... I, I, I could have sworn it was Brian De Palma film. Right. No, so it's Lawrence, Lawrence Castle. Yeah, I just looked it up. You're right. Yeah, I was. Yeah, you got it. Good. We did it. We did it. Hey. Hey, we recorded a podcast. <sighs> well, nicely done, man. This is good. You know what? We don't need no stinking guests. Fuck <laughs> guests. <laughs> yeah. We're so much better back. with the guests. Yeah, I don't know. It's just you and me. We're fine. Yeah. All right. Just two old buddies sitting around talking about movies. Yeah. Few hundred people listening. Uh, all right, well, that's it. Let's wrap it up, shall we? Let's. All right, so if you enjoyed our top five, or if you hated our top five, if you felt like there were movies missing from our top five, or you saw Going in Style, you might be the other person who saw Going in Style besides me and Ira. <laughs> I don't think the movie's doing so well. But anyway, uh, if you saw the movie, you didn't see the movie, you want to comment, you want to scream at us, say whatever you want. Feel free to send us an email. You can email us at Robert, Robert at moneyshotpodcast.net or uh, and slash or mm-hmm. Ira at moneyshotpodcast.net. Someday I'll get that right. 
yeah. and actually include you in that. No, uh, that'll you throw can, me off. You yeah, know that. No. You know that. No. So you could include your email to either one of us or both of us. That, that's one way to do it. Or you can send us a direct message. You can send us something over at Twitter at MoneyShotPod, or you can send us a direct message through Instagram at MoneyShotPodcast. Yeah. Good. The tweets and everything else. Uh, we were curious about what you think about our take on the movie. Again, the top five. Did we leave anything else? Uh, tell a friend. Tell a friend. Just write to us. We want to hear from tell you. Tell a friend about our show well, yeah. and, and say, hey, listen, yeah. you should check the show out. Absolutely. And, you know, you can also find us in, in iTunes. We're on Stitcher. Mm-hmm. We're, we're also now on Google Play. Or, you know, of course, you can go straight to the website and listen to us there. Man, we're, we're all just, over the place, Robert. Just like the show. All over the place. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Feel free to check us out somewhere else. Send us an email. Let us know how you're doing. We'd love to hear from you. So until next time, keep watching movies. And we'll help you sort them out. Sort them out.